Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. And today I have uh, Brendan from Brave.com. How you doing, Brendan? Okay, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Brendan's, uh, I guess, been a little bit under the weather, and uh, my voice is kind of a little bit off, but we're going to make do. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming, Brendan. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, Brendan, can you give folks uh, a sketch of uh, what it is you do at Brave and what Brave does? Sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Brave is... Um, built a new browser uh, for mobile, uh, like iOS, Android, uh, and also Windows uh, and Mac OS and Linux. Uh, but we're doing more than a browser. We're doing something that is a browser that blocks ads and trackers by default um, because the third-party ads have become really not just annoying to people and a waste of you know, time waiting for them to load and jump around on your screen. They're also uh, draining your battery if you're using a mobile device or you're off uh, power connection because they're they're actually running a lot of uh, extra traffic over the network. That's also hitting your data plan. And the worst part is because the way these ads work is so uh, indirect, it goes through a lot of third parties, you get risk of malware through ads, believe it or not. It comes straight at your PC from a third-party ad exchange. And we have a bigger vision that goes beyond just blocking things because on, on the positive side, however well it works, ads do fund a lot of the content on the web that seems free to you as a user. You can come to a site and read it and you see some ads and the publisher thinks maybe that's part of their you know value exchange. They give you some content to read, like a news story, and you, you have to put up with some ads. Um, right. That that's something we're concerned about because we do want publishers to prosper. We think the web needs to have you know people producing good content as well as browsing it. So we don't want just to block ads. That would be kind of destructive. And so we're working on better ways to let people support their web uh, sites that they love. And the first one we already have in beta is a way of automatically, with very low you know um, cost to you in deciding what to do and turning things on and off. Just support the sites you browse the most. Just put $5 a month or however much you want toward uh, Brave payments in beta right now. And over a 30-day period, totally privately, we don't see any of your browsing. We don't look at your data on our servers. It's all on your device. The the browser keeps track, like all browsers do, of where you've been. You probably notice if you use a browser, it has a history. But ours right. ours will uh, also yeah. it will measure how long you've been there and how often you've visited a site. And it'll avoid being tricked. It'll look for the site that was actually in front of all the sites. It'll make sure that the screensaver wasn't on. And it'll try to attribute a donation based on that kind of analysis. And at the end of the 30 days, again, totally on device, high privacy, all, all your decision and data, you can decide who gets paid. You can say, I don't like that site. I'm going to turn them off. And you can let others that just happen to pop to the top go through. And part of your $5 goes to each according to the visit count and the time on site. And that, um, that's something we're trying out, we're, we're experimenting with it, we're improving it because we really think, and this was something we got from our top users, 
people do want to help their top sites, even as they block those ads that, as I say, have become annoying and dangerous. Okay, so you help people view the sites they want to view without any of the ads and all that stuff popping up, essentially, right? Yes, and then if, if they want to, this is the, the user's choice, they can even put some money each month toward funding those sites that they like the most to make up for the lost ad revenue, such as it was. <laughs> I have to say well, this. I would, that, think that um, I would think there's countermeasures by sites. I mean, what, if, you have, if you're running Brave, you know, as the browser, will some sites not let you in if you block the ads? Or what, what's the consequence? Like, why would anyone, just out of the goodness of their heart, you know, uh, agree to pay a site when they're used to getting it for free? That's a great question. It, it turns out that sites do sometimes try to fight with users who have ad blockers uh, or ad blocking browsers like Brave, and they come to visit. But it doesn't really work for them. If you look at the trend over the last year, if fighting with your users to say, you know, stop using your ad blocker on my site, or I'll deny you my content, tends to just lose traffic. And we saw a bunch of sites that did that lose status in the Alexa rankings. And I think some of them have realized there's a better way to go. But there is the potential for that kind of cat and mouse game where the, the publisher says, I don't, I don't want ad blocker users coming here. I'm going to reject them. It's, it's really uh, hard to ever have a final winner in that fight. As a browser with deep platform expertise on myself and other people on the team, we can we can probably win that fight because we're where the code runs. And it's really all about the code, my creation JavaScript from 20 years ago, 21 years ago, that is used now for all these ads and used for things like the the blocker blockers, the, the, the thing the publisher puts on their page to say, hey, you're using an ad blocker, stop that. That all depends on running a piece of JavaScript in the browser. And since we're a browser, we can kind of control the matrix. If you remember that movie, once you're, mm. if you take the blue pill, you're back in the matrix. That steak tastes juicy and delicious. If the, the publisher's script is tricky and tries to hide, we might have some trouble. But if it's too tricky, it starts to look like malware, and we just block it on that basis. So at the end of the day, publishers trying to fight their users is not good for publishers. And I think most of them realize this. And that's why we're also working on this, this donation system and other other things I can talk about to help publishers. We really do want to help publishers. We're not trying to hurt them. But a lot of publishers who are you know valuable brands uh, have had malware on their, their pages through the third-party ad exchanges. Last March, it was announced BBC Online, AOL, New York Times even had uh, ransomware sneak in through oh, ads. Really? Yeah. And How did that happen, by the way? Like, tell me the mechanics of it a little bit. So <laughs> it's a long story, and most people, since it's invisible, just don't know what's going on. Uh, you see the ads, and those can be annoying, or they can be okay. But behind the scenes, before those ads show up, are a bunch of invisible scripts loading and running, and they're trying to hmm. measure you. They're trying to remember you from something called a cookie that may have been set previously when you went to that site or even a different site. A cookie could be something used by a tracking site that you don't even know about. You have no relationship with it. You've never heard of it. And it, it built up a dossier or a profile of you. And that is allegedly to help get better ads. Like even a big publisher. Or targeted ads, right. Supposedly. Yeah, targeted and, and ads that sort of measure you as an audience. Like what, when you're watching TV and you switch channels, the individual channels don't know your total history of channel surfing and which channels you prefer, but the TV does, right. the TiVo does. The browser does, and these third-party trackers try to. They try to get their cookies and their tracking scripts all around the web so they can measure you. And, you know, Google does this. A bunch of, a bunch of bigs do this. 
they don't all get a complete picture of you because let's face it, there's over a billion websites. And if you, if you don't cover, you know, all of them, you're going to miss the user here and there. And that's why sometimes you get really goofy, goofy ad targeting. You get ads that suggest things you don't want. You get the annoying phenomenon of retargeting where you're being nagged to buy something you just oh, bought. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty sloppy system, but it is how publishers have been tempted to go because if they just tried to get their own ads from Procter and Gamble or GM, you know, they have to be a pretty big publisher to go direct to the brands. And so there's this intermediary, right. what's called the ad tech ecosystem. Uh, it's like, like a, you know, big fish tank. It's got a lot of different life forms in it, all kind of, you know, eating each other and feeding each other and, and, and playing their part. <laughs> some of them are parasites, frankly. And we know there are some criminals that are actually, you know, predators, like the malware vendors that got the ransomware oh, yeah. onto the New York Times. So ransomware, that, yeah. that, that's how the system grew. It grew like a, a fish tank that got uh, out of control. And it wasn't designed to be this way. It, it evolved. Now, with ad blockers, users are taking steps to clean it up, and, and that's why I think publishers have, have been um, upset about ad blocking, but like I said, fighting the user, fighting your, your readers who may love your content but not like the ads is not generally good for the publisher. So what, what, right. we, what we see um, with these ad um, networks and exchanges, so-called, is we see that it's it's easy for someone, say, in a criminal gang somewhere in a different part of the world to buy a face for an ad, what's called a slot. And maybe that's cheap to buy because that's how the system works. The, the marketers, the people coming in buying ads are trying to sell you something. They'll spend 40 cents for a thousand impressions from a, a, a little rectangle on the screen of the publisher's page. And the publisher will sell that space and they'll hope to make part of that 40 cents because they use intermediaries, middlemen, they have to give up some of the 40 cents to the middlemen. So they don't get all of it, not, not by a long shot. Now you can already see there's a problem here because the middlemen are taking fees to get that ad to fill that space. Well, if it's a bad okay. guy putting, putting malware in there, the middlemen get paid anyway. Do they care if it's malware? They get their cut, they, they take their, their percentage anyway. So there's a perverse you know, conflict of incentives here where the middle players may just say, I'm getting fees, I'm getting ad exchange fees. It doesn't really matter to me if it's malware because the reputation hit doesn't happen till later or ever. And I need to make my, you know, numbers for next week or next quarter. So that leads to this kind of uh, facilitation of fraud. And it's not just actual malware attacking people's systems, like ransomware that takes over your grandmother's PC. And it, teaches her how to buy Bitcoin and send off a couple of Bitcoin, you know, maybe a year or two ago that was affordable for her, like 1200 bucks, to get her PC unlocked and decrypted so she can have her grandchildren's pictures back. That's pretty wicked. But there's well, also I've had, Yeah, I've had some, some clients of mine, you know, a law firm that uh, was able to ransomware and they wanted six Bitcoins negotiated. And that was a year ago. Now it would it would be, yeah, even worse. You know what, they're, they're doing things now like trying to get victims to become affiliates say we won't charge you if you can get several of your friends to be infected with this ransomware. Uh, <laughs> it's really terrible. Bad. Yeah, but but even ignoring that, which is outright criminality, uh there is a fair amount of what I would call is sort of light fraud or or um hard to prosecute fraud, fraud that you can't really even take to to civil court as a contract breach where yeah. advertisers are putting money into the system. 70 billion last year in the US. 
And most of it's wasted, right? A lot of it goes to ads people never see. Some of it goes to those annoying ads like we talked about that try to get you to buy something you just bought and you're not going to buy it again. And every time you get annoyed by that, you might the odds go up, you might install an ad blocker and then you're lost to the whole economic system. So there's a, right, what's right. Called a, a negative externality there that isn't accounted for by the pricing. But but even then, like I said, these middle players take exchange fees. They take their optimization fees, their their platform fees, and that means that they'll get paid even if there's um, you know a, an ad that's never viewed or an ad that's viewed by a robot. So right, gotcha. We we heard this uh, report from our friends at White Ops Security late last year that they they discovered a new kind of uh, bot or you know robot network. And it's named Methbot by them based on some comments in the code, I guess, about meth. Somebody was a fan of Breaking Bad. Um, but it's really okay. clever. And this is not trying to put bad ads on your system to install ransomware. It's more like taking good ads into a, a fake user's browser, a fake browser even, running in a cloud computer as a sort of a headless browser, and pretend that there was a user viewing the video ad and collect the money that's paid for the impression okay. or, or the action that falls from that video ad. And that allegedly was making three to five million a day, MathBot. It was running massive numbers of wow, fake really? users. Yeah, it, running so in they're cloud. Faking, um, they're faking users that are watching like, let's say, a million ads a day to get all this revenue out of the network. That's right, but they had to do it with a million fake users so it didn't look like the user was clicking at an impossibly fast rate. They did clever things mm-hmm. like they tried to simulate how real people click. They tried to model the real behavior of, of humans. And they, they used um, blocks of internet addresses that looked like residential U.S. addresses by applying for them with a misspelling of Verizon, right, with an S instead of a Z. And the silly people selling the internet address blocks said, okay, you're Verizon. Well, here you go. And a lot of the sort of geolocation targeting to first order on the web uses the IP address, the, the internet address number. And if it looks like a residential Verizon address, then it looks like it's a good customer. It's a real person to send ads to. So some of the anti-fraud techniques used in ad tech that check your internet address number were fooled by this. Yeah. Very clever, detailed uh, attempt, but it was making enough money that it was worth it. Similar to how the ransomware people would spend 40 cents for a thousand impressions because one or two of them might turn into a ransomware install and they make you know $600 or 1200 bucks or six Bitcoin, whatever that is. And that, that pays right. off. It it definitely makes more money than they spend on the ads. Okay, very good. Um, you said you are working on things to help publishers, not just um, block ads. So let's talk more about those. You know, how can you help publishers? Are you helping them stop malware from coming through on their ads, or you know, what are you guys doing? No, we we think the first uh, priority for us is is our users, and that means we have to block. So. The best thing we can do for them is just stop these scripts, these invisible tracking scripts and add sort of placement scripts or measurement scripts to try to start the whole the whole process of putting third-party ads on your page as you browse. We, we want to stop those early, cut off the hydra head uh, and, you know, burn it off before any more heads can sprout. Because when you go to a, a page, I'll, I'll pick on TMZ since they're kind of notorious, you get like mm-hmm. 70 different trackers and third parties integrated it's just an amazing amount of literally yeah it's it's huge if if you use a tool called ghostery which i'm friendly with the ceo they they can draw you a picture that shows sort of like a cloud of different connected circles 
representing these trackers and it is stunning it's like you turned over you know a, a rock in a pond and there's all this <laughs> wonderful life there it, it's it's an amazing amount of third parties it slows down tmz's page load it's not clear it's doing tmz any favors in terms of making the money either and some of these third parties are running away with your data profile and using it to give you ads you don't want elsewhere and maybe some of them are involved in something that's, that's worse like we talked about so when we uh, we want to help publishers, our first order is not to, to go into that messy, you know, sort of indirect ad system and try to fix it for them. There are other companies trying to help there. And in fact, White Ops Security, I mentioned, that studied Methbot, does try to help. I think they started with the publishers first by showing that some amount of ads are, are you know, fraud. And, and the marketer who's buying the ads is paying for something that doesn't turn into sales. So it's, it's fraudulent. It's a waste of their money. And the publisher right. who's relying on a slice of that revenue, whatever's left when the middle players have done taking their cuts, the publisher's not getting it because it gets clawed back because it isn't real. So the marketer says, hey, that, that was fraudulent. I'm not paying you for those impressions. And the publisher ends up short. Uh, so Met White Ops Security is helping. Our goal with Brave is first to help the users. But second, the publishers, because we have a browser, we can do a lot for them. So the Brave payment system that we're having beta, if you have like a Mac or Windows, you can go to your settings called Preferences on Mac OS, you can look for a payments panel. And it'll help you get started funding, you know, whatever you want, $5, the cost of an airport latte, I like to say, a month, to, you know, spread around among your top sites automatically, with as little, you know, fussing by you as you like. You can turn off sites you don't want to get it. And that money goes through an anonymous submission system that's deterministically anonymous. We don't see your top sites. We don't uh, give anybody else that information. It turns out, you know, your your top 10 sites for the month could be a very uh, unique, could be a unique fingerprint for you, could identify you uh, much, much more precisely than other sort of signals you leak out. So we don't want to see it. We don't want anybody else to see it. So Brave Payments goes above and beyond to preserve your anonymity and your privacy. But at the end of the 30 days, you put $5 toward these sites, you like the list you've, you've sort of whittled down from the the automatic analytics that run in your Brave browser, then you get a little notice saying we're going to start paying them in a day and you can take a final look and then the money goes through and it goes through Bitcoin. And there's a reason, a couple of reasons we're using Bitcoin. One is we want the whole system to be auditable and Bitcoin is a public ledger. It's what's called a decentralized um, blockchain based ledger. It's a way of, of doing, um, you know, multi-party agreement without any trusted accountant who's checking everybody's balance sheets. It's a very clever invention. There are other things like it coming along we're, we're tracking. So we're, we're using Bitcoin under the hood. We're not trying to make users all become Bitcoin experts. But it does allow us to do frictionless payments uh, without having to arrange, you know, to get somebody's bank information and all right, well, their account. Is Brave, is Brave free to use or do you have to pay to use the ad blocker? No, we're free to use. We're just a browser. This Brave payment system that we're bringing up in, in a beta test is uh, something you, you would choose to use. And so we're, we're looking for some of our early users who asked for this to step up and donate. And they're doing it. So we have over 30,000 wallets created, and that's just from this beta program. The average balance in the wallets is over $6 each month. So some people are doing like $10 a month. Some people are doing 5 And these are just suggestions. We're not saying you have to pay for Brave or you have to subscribe to your sites. But we think people want this. We, we keep hearing people say, I want you know, Spotify for the web. I just want to pay and get my 
with Spotify, it's your favorite tunes without having to worry about buying them, you know, buy the album or buying too much, many of them. It's just a fixed rate. And the same idea applies to Brave Payments. And the real in, uh, breakthrough for us is we don't have to get the publishers to agree up front. We let our users choose which sites they want to pay. And as the money accumulates in the system through this anonymous 30-day process, on the backside of that, then we go to the publishers and say, hey, look, you know, Wikipedia uh, or Wall Street Journal, a bunch of our users like you, and here's the money that they donated, and it's starting to pile up. Now, it might be a small amount at first, but over time, it starts to get big. And we hope with publishers to make it even bigger by promoting Brave and getting more users. So this is one of the things we're doing for publishers. It's the first one. It's fairly clean in that you don't have to do it if you don't want to. The publisher doesn't have yeah. to be a partner first for it to work. The money starts flowing and being held in escrow. And that's that's how we're that's that's how we're immediately trying to help publishers. We have other things I can talk about, but I wanted to pause there and make it clear. We're just a browser, but we're adding these extra features. So if you opt into this, we're more than a browser. And that's the big vision for Brave. Google right now and Facebook are very powerful and they own a lot of information about you and they use it to make a lot of money. You may get some good services or some fun contacts with your friends or some great YouTube or whatever, but you also get treated like a farm animal in some ways. And sometimes they shut down a service you loved or they change things in, against your interests. You don't get a say in it and you don't get paid. All that revenue sharing, the middle players taking their cuts, the user gets nothing. We think this is a mistake that happened due to this accidental evolution of the ad tech system. We'd like to give people choices besides donations that would pay them for seeing high-quality ads that are entirely private to them and that share revenue with the user and better revenue with the publisher than they get today from these third-party ads. The, the, today's ads that go through these indirect exchanges and so on don't pay the publisher much. At the end of the process of slicing the money up, taking cuts of the pie out for the middlemen, there isn't that much left. The industry trade group called the Interactive Advertising Bureau did a study of the system in 2014, and they said, oh, 45% goes to the publisher. Isn't that great? And you think about that. Remember the Apple um, iOS app store? They, they give 70% to the publisher, essentially, for the app revenue share. In television, in the old days, the advertiser would give 85% to the media owner, you know, the superstation. Mm. Um, so there's something off here. The revenue getting to the, the content uh, publisher is less and less, and it's coming with this fraud risk and malware risk and this general you know, problem of driving ad blocker adoption, which leaves even smaller pie over time to slice up. Well, what's your guys' revenue model, though? What if people don't donate enough where the energy and the time and coding you put in makes it, quote, unquote, worth it for you? What, what will happen then? I do think about this. We're a startup, and right now we're not going to you know, brag about our revenue because there isn't much. But what we can do, besides the usual things browsers do, which I know well from Mozilla, which is basically do search engine um, revenue share deals, those are possible and we're doing them. They aren't, um, they aren't easy to do with some of the big players like Google right now, and we don't want to rely exclusively on them. Mozilla has came to be very dependent on those search deals. You may, if you've ever used Safari on Mac OS going back um, you know, 13 years, 14 years, when Safari first came out, they had a Google search bar too, and they made some good money off that. But, you know, Apple has a lot of other revenue sources. When I was at Mozilla, we always worried, um, you know, are we, are we just going to have one big search provider like Google as our partner? 
and can we diversify? And Mozilla says they've diversified a bit, so good for them, but it's still it's still a lot of money from one major partner there. With Brave, we'd like to build up these alternative ways of funding the web. So the donation system, it's not for everyone, but we're going to see how many people can participate, and we take a small fee, uh, much smaller than the ad tech players take. And that could be good for us if it gets used a lot. We're also working on those very private ads I mentioned that would give revenue to the user and a bigger share to the publisher than they're getting from the current system. We talked about this when we launched a year ago, and it caused some uproar in the in the ad tech system, even among some publishers. But we didn't actually do it, and we wouldn't do it without publishers and users choosing it. We want, we don't want to surprise anybody. We want publishers as partners. So you'll see us bringing this out in trial form with you know users and publishers who choose it. But it's a way of doing better private ads that have m much fewer middle players, like only uh, your, us, really, as your, your trusted partner. And our ad matching doesn't involve tracking. We're not going to be like all those trackers I mentioned, those invisible scripts. We're going to do the ad matching through our code in our browser only if you choose it and only based on your local data. And that's something that's never been done before. When you, when you go around the web now, you, like I said, you go to TMZ, there are 70 plus trackers looking at you. You go to a Google site, Google's looking at you. You go to Google's publisher partner sites using double click for the Google ads, tons of trackers. They use not only Google, but a lot of third parties to optimize and try to measure the user better and confirm that the user saw the ad. All what about take, um, take just stripping out the malware or bad component? Do you have any software that will do that where people can still see ads, but they're at least seeing safe ads? It, it's it's hard to do that, but we definitely turn off things like Flash. One of the things that the malware in ads use, uh, the Angular Exploit Kit in particular that I mentioned getting on the New York Times last year, it used the Flash Player. And the Flash Player is what's called an old-style plugin. People sometimes uh, call, call the other things plugins, but when you use plugin in the long term around browsers, you mean Flash, or you might have heard of Silverlight. Java also had a plugin. Mm. These things are dying. Steve Jobs killed Flash. He said, you know, he, you can find his piece still, uh, I think, in uh, online called Thoughts on Flash. And this was about why he didn't want Adobe's Flash plugin in iOS on, on the iPhone. He, he said it, it uses too much power. It's a separate system from the web, and we think the web should be enough. He had some other reasons that I don't think were strong or true, but he basically was right that Flash was this plug-in rose because the web wasn't evolving because Microsoft monopolized it. I was at Netscape, and you know Microsoft uh, used its Windows monopoly to kind of crush Netscape and a lot of other companies. Right. And that actually, they got convicted of abusing their monopoly over operating systems by the U.S. government in the U.S. v. Microsoft case. So, um, you know, there was a there was a gap in in the web evolution where things just stopped because Microsoft had achieved 96% share with Internet Explorer, and they were kind of tired of the antitrust case. They felt, well, the web standards are hard. We have to cooperate. We've already monopolized it. Why don't we just kind of stop working on it and go back to, to Windows Vista, Windows, you know, futures, and we'll do great Windows work, and then, you know, we'll be happier, and that'll, that'll continue to monopolize the operating system. Well, they miscalculated because I helped as a founder of Mozilla and Firefox, take back the web browser market share that they monopolized with Firefox. And we restarted the browser market. It hadn't been done with anything Microsoft had cornered the market on before. 
They also, I think, mm-hmm. miscalculated on thinking that their Windows OS monopoly would keep going for forever because they missed mobile. They missed the rise of the iPhone, and Microsoft's not the same company it was in the 90s now. But, you know, they, that was their thinking, and that's why the web stagnated. And when it stagnated, Flash rose as a plug-in that was widely distributed, originally created by Macromedia, um, but then Macromedia was bought by Adobe, and Flash could do some amazing stuff. It could do animations. So, like, 12 years ago, 10 years ago even, you would see almost every restaurant in the major cities in the U.S. would have a website that was authored in Flash using you know, very fine, powerful tools that Adobe sold for money, and the Flash player was free. That was the, you know, the razor. And the, the tools were for generating razor blades, new new restaurant sites. A lot of the Hollywood movie sites also used all Flash. But when Steve Jobs said no Flash on iPhone, that was the beginning of the end. I like to say it was his, you know, magic martial arts death blow that didn't kill Flash instantly, but caused a delayed reaction. And the problem then became Flash, as it wasn't on iPhones, became used more and more on PCs for ads, bad ads, eventually for malware. And the Flash player itself, tended by Adobe, tended to become uh, full of security vulnerabilities that were exploited by this malware. Now, all all significant code has security flaws. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, every browser will have security flaws as long as it is a non-trivial piece of code, which browsers must be. The Flash player, and sort of like a specialized browser or a viewer for certain kind of content, rich content, it's going to have security flaws. So that I'm not saying Flash is uniquely bad this way. The problem was it wasn't maintained as it went down after Steve Jobs said no Flash on iPhone. It just became, and it was not open source. It was not subject to the same scrutiny as the major browsers that have open source components or are all open source. And the sum total of that was that Flash security went, went to Hades very fast and became the, the vector for this malware that comes in through ad exchanges. All right, well, let's go through, you know, we got to cover some more Brave services. So, sure. I don't know if um, we specified, does the ad blocker work on mobile, or does it work on laptop, or both? How about iOS versus Android? We support um, them all. Know, what's the spec? In fact, we're in the app stores on iOS and Android. If you look for Brave Browser, You'll find it on both pretty quick. And those uh, mobile apps that we have are doing very well because they are by far faster than a browser that does not have an ad blocker. So we've just measured recently on Android, we're three to six times faster than Chrome on Android. And Google will not provide ad blocking extensions for Chrome on Android. It's not in their interest. I understand why they don't. So if you really want a solution to block ads, you're going to have to use a different browser that has ad blocking extensions or that blocks by default. There are such browsers. UC Web rose in Asia by blocking ads in part and being a great browser. Um, the ad block browser and others are available. We think Brave is, is the best. We're, we're closest to being like just like Chrome, but with three to six times the speed due to blocking ads and trackers, all those scripts, the invisible things that not just track you and steal your data, but slow you down. And okay. safer. Well, what- what happens if I use Brave and they come to a site and it's just like, you know, Flash. Uh, oh, you know, Flash is not supported and you couldn't view the content. So what happens if I use Brave and I go to a site and I can't view the content because of something they've done? What do I do? Should I turn off Brave? Should I contact you guys? You know, what, what do I do? 
excellent question. So that's part of the reason we named it Brave is we need our users to be willing to fight for their data, which means occasionally they might run into some problem with the Brave shields, we call them, the, the defenses against ads and trackers. So you click on the lion. There's always a orange lion icon in the upper right corner of Brave. If you click on that, you get a panel that shows you for the page you're on how many ads and trackers you blocked and how many uh, upgrades you've made to have secure connections where you would have lost the, the uh, sort of encryption, end-to-end -end encryption that the web offers due to a mistake on the site's part, and things like that. So you click on that lion and you can say, hey, let's try turning off the shields. We'll lower our shields. And maybe that makes the, the problem you were experiencing go away. You might want to then raise them again later, see if the site gets better. We will work on figuring out, again, without any kind of tracking of you, but through sort of anonymous techniques, we will try to figure out sites that people have to do this on, and we will try to get the sites to fix their stuff so they don't break on us. Right. We, we do our own proactive QA this way, too. That's another reason we're a browser. There are several, but one of them is we can do integrated testing and make sure that we work on as many sites as possible so you don't have to do this. But it's a great question. If you run into trouble, try clicking on the lion, try dropping your shields. Now, you may remember in, okay. in uh, Star Trek II, Captain Kirk didn't raise his shields soon enough and uh, learned a painful lesson. So you don't want to go shields down forever. You don't want to fly that way. Well, do you have a feature where they can lower shields for X number of seconds and then they automatically go back up? Maybe that would be a good uh, way to do it to test. That's a great. That's a great idea. Uh, I'll take that back to the lab. I think we, we've thought about things like that. We generally want to give the user control, so it's a little tricky. But that, that's not a bad idea because we have something similar. We have the Flash Player supported on the PC, you know, and, and the Mac, where it still lingers, even though it's not never going to come to mobile thanks to Steve Jobs. And people sometimes feel they need Flash. So we we realized it's a very uh, big security problem because it's become this sort of source of vulnerabilities and, and a vector for malware. So we don't have it installed or by default or turned on by default. You have to do that yourself. And then if you do turn it on, when you go to a site that needs it, you also have to click to play it. And you can remember that decision, but it times out after seven days. So we're being, we're being similarly harsh with a timeout on Flash. And we could do that with Shields too. I, I don't know if it would confuse people if well, the Shields yeah, it can be customized shields. You could do it where shields down for this one site and they go back up as soon as you leave or for a time period or yep. other parameters. It's just a way for people to customize. Yeah, that's, but yet, it's, a great, they it's, it's a good idea. And I'll, I'll definitely take it back to the lab. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, one more thing I had a question on. Um, I don't know how you do this. I'm just making it up. But why can't you have a browser that has two elements and one allows the ads and their code to run in like a sandboxed, walled-off garden environment, while the rest of the browser identifies the content elements and loads those. Is there any way to segment it? I thought about this too, and we actually had a pretty humorous, might have been serious request from a friend on Twitter, because he wanted to do this in order to torture the trackers. He wanted to give the trackers false information about himself. The problem with this, if you do it on your own you know, device, especially mobile devices, now you're running basically two browsers, and you're taking the big data hit, running the radio of loading all those scripts and having them trigger other scripts that eventually place ads. So then I thought, could we do this with a cloud browser? And then I learned about the Methbot uh, cloud browser that's used to steal ad revenue. I realized the 
the people worried about security in the ad exchanges are going to start clamping down on cloud browsers. So I kind of right. put this on the back burner, but it, it's an it's a tempting idea. People always uh, want to sort of do something with ads where they kind of get them but don't get them. And to make it, you know, without getting too technical, it's really hard because a lot of those ads are basically a bunch of script that calls other scripts that calls other script. And it has to be unfolded in full. And by the time you've mm. done that, you might have already gotten known by malware. You might have already burned your battery down and, and burned your data plan right. down. So we don't want to do that by default, but we're, we're still thinking about it. The, the big changes I expect that will happen, they're already visible in, in the ad tech system, are ad blocking is going up linearly. It's not stopping. If it gets you know near a tipping point, people are just going to have to go with something like what Brave's doing. And so we're trying to innovate ahead of this problem and provide publishers as well as users with better ways to keep the whole system from going out of business. What about um, do you ever mistake regular native content for um, for ads? And how can a um, a website owner make sure that ad blockers won't block the wrong thing? Another great question. So it, it turns out you could make what are called native ads, and that became a trend over the last few years, where the ad is really, it looks just like part of the publisher's content. Sometimes it's what's called an advertorial, right? It's an editorial, but it's actually an ad. Or I heard about this one recipe site. It's a good recipe site. People like it. Occasionally, one of those recipes comes from, you know, you won't believe it's not butter or one of the, one of their sponsors. And it's probably right. a good recipe if, if you're willing to buy that stuff. Um, those are harder to block, I'll be honest. But there's nothing impossible. Once again, the browser is the matrix, right? We control <laughs> the vertical and the horizontal. So with enough machine learning, ultimately, or simpler techniques, we can sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. Right now, the way ads work, the publishers are many. There's a billion websites or more in the world. There are you know thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of ma mainstream popular sites and publishers people go to. They can't all go get ads from General Motors or Procter & Gamble. So they go through these middlemen I mentioned. And the number of middle players in the ad tech system is much smaller. It's much more concentrated. It's a few thousand. So what you end up with is this sort of typical structure in networks where you get sort of a waft-wasted or hourglass shape where things are all funneling through these, these several thousand middle players. They tend to use their own web addresses, domain names. And that makes them easy to block. So the state of the art for all ad blockers, including Brave, currently is to block a bunch of these middle players by their domain names. Now, that's not the only technique we use or anybody else. And as I say, it's an evolving sort of system of cat and mouse. So as things right. change, we have, we have to be more clever than just domain blocking. But domain blocking, you get a lot out of it right now. It's still working. It's still important. And uh, that, that does a lot. And that makes it easy. You don't have to go into the HTML to actually load it and say, well, is this an ad or is this content? That can be hard if you missed where it came from, if you missed its provenance by watching the scripts or network requests that fired in order to create that piece of content. So we, we tend yes. to watch the network, network requests. Okay. All right. Well, well very good. Let's wrap. Um, <clears throat> how do users find out more about Brave? you know, install it on their systems and start blocking some ads. What do they do? Where do they go? If you go to brave.com, we have the brave.com domain. You can immediately get from the, the above the fold to the downloads for Windows, Mac, and Linux, and links into the app stores. If you're on mobile, it'll fire up your, your app store app and let you install from there. If you just want to go to the app store, just type in Brave Browser, 
and look for the orange lion face, and away you go. It's, it's a faster, safer browser, and if you're interested in helping your site on the laptop and pretty soon on mobile, we're going to have uh, this option for donating across all of our products. Okay, well, very good. I appreciate your time, and uh, I learned a lot of good stuff in this interview, so thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a scary world out there. You, we need people to defend themselves and their data, and if they do it, I think in the long run, they'll make money and they'll get a better deal. They'll get faster and more enjoyable web. Thanks. Definitely. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.